Toasted Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. started today, I want to tell you about something I am excited about. I'll have a booth at this year's Albuquerque Zine Fest. That means I'm debuting a Toasted Sister Zine that's all about indigenous food in Native Futurisms. And I will also have a line of stickers printed featuring art by me, and that includes the TS logo, Corn Man, and a new one that I called Blessed Mary of the Corn. And of course, these will all be available at ToastedSisterPodcast.com after the Zine Fest. So when is the Zine Fest? It's Saturday, October 5th at the National Hispanic Cultural Center here in Albuquerque, and it's going on from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. So check out the website. It's abqzf.com. get into the show where I talk with Keenan Muir about indigenous food in Australia. Keenan is the main coordinator for the first indigenous Comic-Con, which is going down in Melbourne this year. Uh, so my name is Keenan Muir. I come from a small place called Australia. <laughs> I am a Yorta Yorta and Naranjeri man from uh, Victoria. So my family are from the Murray River, which is probably the main border between Victoria and New South Wales. Okay. All right. So you're here in Albuquerque in yes. the Native America Calling Studio. What are you doing here? So I am here uh, initially because I was at the Indigenous Comic Con in Denver, um, which was amazing. I always love any platform where Indigenous people can celebrate themselves. I think it's something that's rarely had and we need to do more of it. Uh, from there, I actually took a bit of a holiday while I'm here. Went and checked out the Smithsonian in Washington. And from there, I went to Santa Fe and now I am here. All right, cool. You know, you're, you're a cosplayer. Right? Can you explain yes. a little bit about that and some of the characters you uh, morph into? Yeah, definitely. So uh, for those who don't know, cosplay is a cross between costume and play. It's an incredibly creative industry to be in. My partner's a bit more creative than me. She actually sews and creates all of her costumes, which always blows my mind how creative you have to be for that. 
Uh, whereas I'm probably a bit more simpler than that. I do source a lot of my costumes from op shops online. Um, I do weather them a bit to make it a bit more accurate to the character. But I also use cosplay as a way to... I guess it's my own personal platform to have my voice heard in a different industry and have my voice heard as a young Indigenous person who's passionate about popular culture and this platform. I use it to talk about concepts such as uh, shame, which um, is a part of the Indigenous community. It's not a part a part of our community from the start. It was actually introduced to us by the Western civilizations, which um, did come across to Australia. I mean, obviously, they brought across things like diseases and alcohol. Um, but I guess over time, they they saw Indigenous people as the other. And with that, in our community, we grew this concept of shame. And I use cosplay as a platform to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm passionate about. You cannot have any say over how I go about doing this. In the comic books, uh, you know, there are not that many Indigenous people in comic books. Um, how, um, you know, how have you noticed um, Indigenous people stor- sort of telling their own stories in comic books or just, you know, be, be Indigenous people being included in maybe the major, um, major comic books? Yeah. Uh, look, the, the landscape is changing. We're now finding that some of the mainstream industries, such as the Marvels or the DCs of the world, they're finding that they need to tell um, a different story from a different perspective. Uh, So when you look at films such as Thor Ragnarok, which um, is in my top three Marvel movies, You don't have to go too far to see that Taika um, Waititi did such an amazing job, not just as an Indigenous person behind the camera, but in terms of, I guess, giving a new perspective to the Marvel narrative. I don't think Marvel have done that in the past, and it's, it's a refreshing look. All right. So here's that food question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that food question we weren't so sure about. But um, how, how is uh, Indigenous food or just food in general included in comic books? Like how important is it really? Because usually I don't really see too many like superheroes on yeah, TV eating yeah. things or movies in general. Nobody's eating. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I, I don't think we're at that point yet. As I said, it's taken industries such as Marvel a while to uh, give these new um, new perspectives and include Indigenous people in their narrative creations. The thing about Indigenous foods in particular is it's it's sustainable. It's something from this earth. I think this new landscape, the mainstream 
perspective are starting to shift their view over to how can we be more sustainable on this earth? You know, there there are two per, two perspectives to this. There's the perspective of, uh, you know, exploring our universe and finding a new planet as close to Earth as possible. Or there's the perspective of actually being sustainable to this Earth and understanding that it's a two-way street. And I think what Indigenous food culture provides is something sustainable. You know, like when we hunt kangaroo, we use a whole kangaroo. We use the skin, we use the meat, we use the bones. When we're in the mountains, we understand that the plants will sustain our community. And with that, we we harvest more understandably, I guess. We understand that they'll give us life and we can facilitate their their life. So I think there's a lot to learn from Indigenous foods and it would be great to see that on screen. I don't know if we're there yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would be awesome to see that um, on screen. Um, but I'd like to go a little bit uh, back to your background uh, before I start asking all kinds of questions about yep. um, uh, <laughs> Indigenous Australian food. But um, you're part of the, is it Koori Youth Council? Yeah, so I'm the Senior Project Officer at okay. the Koori Youth Council. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's that all about? Oh, look, there's, I think that's another conversation, but... <laughs> the short um, version. The short version. Okay, so the Koori Youth Council, we're probably the only advocacy body for Indigenous young people ages 18 to 28 in Australia. My main job is to organise our annual event, the Koori Youth Summit. That's a gathering of Indigenous young people from around Victoria, basically to come together, listen to some cool speakers, some cool music, um, talk with each other. You know, we need these types of platforms to, I guess, to grow our culture, to make sure our culture never dies. I wouldn't do anything else. I love my job and I think what made it so easy to um, transfer my skills as a senior project officer from the Koori Youth Summit to something like Indigenous Comic Con, I think the, the aim, the mission of the two are to give our people something amazing to come together, speak with each other and yeah, make sure our culture stays strong. You kind of mentioned it before that, um, you know, Western, um, you know, settlers like everywhere, um, you know, were pretty detrimental to the indigenous communities. Um, is it, it's the same story in Australia as it is here. How did um, indigenous Australian food um, suffer change yeah. because of that? Yeah. Uh, look, it's, it changed tremendously. One book I will give a shout out to is Dark Emu, written by Bruce Pascoe. He's managed to analyse our continent of Australia 
thousands, tens of thousands years before white settlement. And it actually showed that from Victoria to South Australia, which is, I would say, probably a good 400 k's, that entire area was a wheat harvesting area. And when you consider that the white settlement um, also brought over cattle, they brought over rabbits, they brought over foxes, and their main purpose was to dig up our earth and start their settlements and build houses and roads and all of that. Our food industry really suffered a lot. So in Australia, there's missions so little patches of land for Indigenous people. So what we found was there's there might be a lot of different communities within the one mission, meaning that particularly in Victoria, it's extremely transient. And a main part of that was their fishing holes weren't available anymore. Kangaroos were shot and killed sometimes for sports by white settlement and our food dwindled so much that all these different communities were herded like animals into this one small patch of land and told that you don't have food, you can't eat your traditional food, you can't talk your traditional tongue we can give you rations, we can give you flour, sugar and alcohol, which is, you know, totally foreign to us. Yeah, you're going to have to learn how to live with that. But now I think there's been a change, obviously. there's So the generation before ours, they were um, survivors, whereas now, you know, we're finding ways how to thrive and bring that culture back. Um, which is exciting. Right, right. You know, I'm drawing so many parallels between, um, you know, Australia and here. I mean, we here, we do, we do, we did, uh, we were given those rations, uh, commodity foods. Do you guys still have them today? Like, you know, government assistant sort of programs? No, that's probably the biggest myth in Australia. Okay. So mainstream, for whatever reason, thinks that, Aboriginal people get everything for free. That's Same. <laughs> definitely not the case. Yeah. I pay my taxes. I work my butt off. <laughs> you know, I'm jumping the same hurdles anyone else is, but yet because of the colour of my skin, I'm looked at differently. That's racism. That's... I'm hoping that these platforms such as Indigenous Comic Con work to break down those barriers, those perspectives of what an Indigenous person is. I mean, I love my coffee. I love my avocado on toast. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I'm still proud of my culture, proud of my heritage. I'm just living differently to what my great-grandparents did. I thank them every day that they gave me this, this life. We all know without our elders, without our ancestors, this world would look very different. 
And uh, can you explain some of the uh, indigenous foods? I know you mentioned kangaroo, and I think, um, you know, when you were here the first time a couple of years ago, we had a dis- little discussion about kangaroo tail. You were talking about how it's sweet. and Yeah. Um, it's like, is, you, you, you mentioned it was like your favorite part <laughs> of yeah. the kangaroo. No, yeah. It's... yeah. Tell me a little bit more about these foods. Yeah. So um, in Australia, I mean, we have, it obviously changes from each state. So up north, they tend to eat crocodile and, well, the bush tucker up there is different to Victoria, but we we have kangaroo. So as I said, the kangaroo tile is, it's very sweet. It's probably the best part of the kangaroo <laughs> i i should have brought in samples or prepared something <laughs> yeah. um yeah. i love kangaroo yeah. it's unlike anything else it's um the kangaroo is lean and if you cook it just right it tastes amazing <laughs> how do how do you like to cook it i like to cook the kangaroo tail um, under, uh, I guess, in sand, under burning ashes mm-hmm. in an open fire. Mm. Um, and, I mean, you pair that with, like, you know, some hot potatoes and some veggies. It just tastes amazing. And, you know, ch- chuck in some Johnny Cakes, some damper. What, what was Johnny Cakes? So Johnny Cakes is, like... And damper. <laughs> and damper, <laughs> yeah. It, it's probably closest to fry bread, okay. I think. The Johnny um, Cakes? Yeah. Okay. Uh, except they're probably, well, they're not cooked in um, fat or anything. They're cooked on an open fire. It's probably between fry bread and scones. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, damper? It's basically Johnny Cakes, but it's it's a bit bigger. Okay. It's probably, yeah, it, it's meant to be um, broken up by the hand and, you know, dipped into whatever, kangaroo or anything else. Okay. But it tastes amazing. <laughs> we can imagine. Um, and and uh, what, are, what are maybe some of the uh, wild foods um, that um, you guys also, um, you know, find important? Yeah. Victoria is a very unique state in that there's one end that's mountains and that's closer to the snow. You know, there's my country with uh, fresh water. Bushland, uh, it's very, um, I guess, desert-like. You know, there's the um, the coast area. They have a lot of bushland. Um, they have a lot of sweeter-tasting berries, obviously because the, the sea salt comes onto the land and makes its way into the plants. Um, Also on the coast, there are things called mittens. So what mittens are, they were basically areas where our ancestors would cook and prepare food and, you know, discard of um, shells or fish bones or anything. So that was thousands of years ago. I think the oldest they found was 
something like 110,000 years old. The archaeologists today would go along the coast and find these things, but in Australia we have cultural rights. So once these things are found, that's turned over to the local Indigenous people of that area because it's obviously it's our land, it's our history. It only makes sense that it goes back to our people. Um, so we have mittens on the coast. In the hills, we have clans up there uh, were a bit more had a bit more of a vegetarian um, diet. They they had a lot of uh, berries, um, odd kangaroo or emu up in that area. But yeah, they were a, very much a vegetarian sort of area. And then on my country, it's, you know, freshwater, a lot of fish. There's a lot of goannas and kangaroos. So a bit more down south from my country. They also had uh, fresh water in there. It's actually, it just got added to the World Heritage listing, which is pretty cool. So that's where they did a lot of eel fishing. Their clan around that area prepared eel traps because they understood that an eel can't move backwards. There's these massive eel traps that were made from the local grass. Not only those grass traps, but also, I guess, smaller rock pools. I think they were dated 100,000 years. Yeah, so pretty old. Um, (laughs) In the Indigenous calendar, there's, I think, nine seasons. So that's broken up into... Not just the seasons, but the perfect weather to go hunting and the perfect weather to harvest. That's not just my culture. There's, you know, a lot of cultures all over the world that have calendars that are split up to their ideal harvesting season. Mm-hmm. And particularly with the eels, now, I'm, I'm not too sure when it is, but there is a season when it is optimal to go hunting because they understood that, you know, they, they've had their little ill babies or whatever. And when our people went hunting, you know, we used the whole animal, but it was also a very respectful thing to go hunting. We understood that anything from Mother Earth deserves the utmost respect when you're looking to profit at all from that source. So during the hunting seasons, there was a lot of lot of respect in how you prepared that animal, you know, saying a prayer to have that animal spirit go back into the earth. So I think Indigenous people... We knew our shit. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. So much, you know, the same over here on this side, just paying um, a lot of attention and respect to uh, the animals, um, you know, wild foods that yeah, we are definitely. Uh, harvesting, uh, and even uh, agriculture, too, to, to yes. seeds. Uh, what does agriculture look like in Australia? Agriculture... Um, Well, I'm seeing a shift in our landscape, 
particularly in the our community. Um, I think there's a lot of younger people going back to harvesting, um, gardening, planting uh, native food and native plants. I'm probably not there yet, but when I do finally have my own property, that's my number one goal, mm. is to reintroduce our native plants, make sure that my kids one day understand that this plant is your heritage, it's your culture, and that sparks a further conversation to everything else in our culture. But yeah, there is a shift in Indigenous people starting to go back to our Indigenous ways, our Indigenous diets. I, I heard that there's someone in I think it might be Brisbane going back to, you know, the same diet that his great-great-great-grandfather was on. Yeah, yeah I, I would love to one day say, oh, no, I'm on the same diet that, that my great-great-great-grandfather was on back when he was an absolute gun at running, when he was just a legend. I want to be on that diet. <laughs> yeah oh my gosh um so so that's happening a lot here in uh the united states um there's a lot of people um, paying special attention to what our great great you know grandparents were mm. eating and it's cool that um you know we're starting to see this um over there in australia too um i had a, a question about um Gian- joanna Mo- <laughs> No, you, I can't even understand my handwriting right here, but you mentioned, is it a lizard? Oh, goannas. Goanna, yes. Goannas. A question about goannas, like it's a a lizard. How how do you prepare that? Yeah, uh, so I guess it's... Is it even a lizard because they're huge? At a certain point, do you stop calling it a lizard and... Call it a dragon. A dragon? <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't seen one breathe fire yet, but <laughs> it's still on the table. Yeah, it's still huge. Yeah. Well, there's a few different ways. So there's people who just chuck it on the open fire, as is. There's some who, um, I guess, they create like an underground pressure cooker heating oven put hot coals on that and leave that cooking for a couple of hours so the meat falls straight off the bone. Right. I right. love it. <laughs> if you're looking for something a bit more quick, you just wrap it up in tin foil with a couple of local veggies, native plants, and it just tastes amazing. I'm kidding hungry myself. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I ask um, some of these questions, um, you know, what does that look like? Um, how, how would you prepare it? Yeah. And um, I know sometimes it can, it can maybe come off as like um, this National Geographic host, like, oh, look at the natives and look at their food, and let's <laughs> let's let's go uh, film over here and film over there. But but really, I'm like really curious about um, about these different ingredients because yeah. you know, living in the city, we don't have access to a lot of those kinds of things. And growing up, like a lot of people have uh, grown up, like me, kind of a little bit, rem- you know, 
yeah. lot, a lot removed from the culture and from the traditional food. I haven't had the experience uh, to taste even a lot of my uh, traditional you know, Navajo yeah. food too. So that's why I ask, you know, some of those kinds of questions. And I hope, yeah. you know, in my podcast, nobody really maybe takes offense to any of those kind of questions that I'm yeah. asking. Like, tell me about that. Oh my gosh, I'm so curious. Uh, it's because I am really curious. Yeah, no, <laughs> I think it's, um, it's an entire new landscape on this earth, um, particularly for Indigenous people where we're saying, okay, so the, the Western way doesn't work. Let's move back to our old ways. So now there's um, there's a lot of people, our generation, talking to our parents, our grandparents, if we're lucky, you know, to see how things were when they were kids. Try and work a bit more on that. Just being in the Western world is stressful enough, and we as Indigenous people who walk between two worlds, who have to deal with cultural loads, who have to deal with people who just have questions such as, oh, who are Indigenous people? What what do... You guys still exist? Yeah. <laughs> oh, what percentage are you? And all of that sort of stuff. It's, it's stressful enough. So we use culture you know, to lean back on and, you know, our parents say, oh, no, you're on the right right track. Your ancestors are looking out for you. Come and learn your culture and don't worry about all of that other Western crap going on. Learn your culture first and you'll be right. All right, so you're also busy um, uh, putting together a comic-con altogether right in just a Australia? little busy yeah <laughs> T- tell me a little about that yeah so as i said i came over for denver's indigenous comic-con so next up we will be going to melbourne my neck of the woods for indigenous comic-con shout out to everyone to come over <laughs> It's just it's just a fifteen hour flight. You'll right. be fine. Well, I'll start budgeting right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we're holding that from November twenty ninth to the first of December. Uh, that will be held in Melbourne. Our first guest has just been announced. So our first guest comes from shows such as What We Do in the Shadows, is a brilliant stand-up comedian, Corey Gonzalez-McCure, who played Nick the Vampire on <laughs> What We Do in the Shadows. I love that movie. That's my favorite. It's, I mean, that's just amazing. I'm going to buy a ticket. Yes. This week. <laughs> this week. Wow. Wow. So we have them on board. We have... Our first major sponsor on board, Songlines Aboriginal. So what Songlines do, they provide a platform for Indigenous musicians to do their thing. Uh, so we'll have them on board. They're providing some, some very deadly young Indigenous artists. But yeah, it's just a fun, family-friendly event that happens to focus on Indigenous creativity. Come down and see a different perspective on Indigenous culture. You know, our culture is not stuck 80,000 years in the past. We are still here doing our thing. Um, so come down and check it out. All right. 
Great. And I think if it's anything like the other Indigenous Comic Cons that have already happened here, I've been to all of them, and they're always so fun. Um, You know, a person like me who doesn't, who's not really into comic books and and movies and stuff like that, it's, uh, uh, there's a whole lot more to appreciate just being there and seeing all the different booths and seeing, uh, having conversations with people there who kind of, who have this uh, uh, passion to promote indigenous uh, images, indigenous stories and stuff like that. So it's not all, you know, nerdy comic books, even though that's fun too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's, um, you know, focusing on pop culture, Mm sci-fi, you know, that's my thing. Every time I'm in the community, there's a new elder that comes up to me and says, oh, you know, I, I grew up on Doctor Who. I love the fact that we can connect like that. This will be the the very first time that Australia has ever had a platform like this for Indigenous creativity, uh, particularly in the pop culture industry. So I think we're very long overdue for this. It's not just an event. It's a, it's a movement, really, to say that... You can be who you want to be as a young Indigenous person. Never um, never say sorry for who you are. You're fine just the way you are. And if that means that you grew up on Batman, like I did, that's fine. Come down and geek out with me. That was Keenan Muir. Keep tabs on Indigenous Comic Con Australia on social media and on indigenouspopex.com. Toasted Sister supported by the Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation. It plays regularly on KCZY Radio. That's the Navajo Technical University's radio station in Crown Point, New Mexico, which is my hometown. This podcast is also part of the weekly lineup on The River. That's R-I-V-R, Rising Indigenous Voices Radio. This show is also affiliated with Native Voice One and appears alongside great Native shows like Native America Calling, Trey Hent Reports, and National Native News on the Native Voice One app, so check that out. Music is created for Toasted Sister by CWION. Check out their outstanding music on Bandcamp or at CWION.com or on social media. Mm-hmm.